Well, welcome everyone. Great to see you all here. As Dan said, I'm Matt, if you don't know me, and uh, we're really glad that you've been able to join us today, uh, looking out, seeing faces I don't know and some familiar faces I've not seen for a really long time. So it's really great to have you here with us. Uh, we hope you feel at home here today. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book in your New Testament, so kind of uh, about two-thirds way through your Bible. Um, we've been working through a series here over the last few months talking about some values that are really important to us as a church, uh, some things that are, uh, we're trying to build and use as sort of a foundation for church life, for community life here at Liberty Church. And today we want to talk about this book, the Bible. Um, so hopefully that will help you today. Um, we're going to read in a moment from the passage, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me. And I guess the question I want to start is, is what do we believe this book is? For some people, the Bible is difficult, challenging, at least when you try and apply it to the world that we live in. Some people just think it's irrelevant, just a dusty old relic from a bygone age. Or we could believe that it's, as it says about itself, it's a, a lamp to our feet. That the Bible, we believe, is how we can learn about, how we can know, how we can experience God. We believe that this Bible is truth and tells us about Jesus, the way and the truth and the life. We believe in the authority of scripture. This uh, has authority over our lives and over us as a church. And we're gonna try and get into that subject as we do it. And we're gonna use this passage from the Gospel of John to help us. We're in chapter six, and I'm gonna read from verse, verse 60 to verse 68 of chapter six of John. It says this. When many of his disciples, he's talking about Jesus, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? If you read the, you want to read at another time the rest of the book of John, or at least that chapter six, you'll find some of the hard, confusing, difficult things that he said to them that left them feeling pretty uncomfortable. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before it is the spirit who gives life the flesh is no help at all there are words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life but there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let me pray. Jesus, we believe that about this book, your word to us, that in here we meet you, Jesus. We find life. We find words of eternal life 
eternal truth that sets us free. And we pray that's exactly what would happen this morning, that we'd know a freedom, a, a liberty in your word today, that we know a joy and a love for this book and that we know you richly, deeply speaking to us, changing us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A friend of mine was showed me a, a video this week of what appeared to be Tom Cruise talking away and doing various things. I don't know if any of you have seen this video, but it's not Tom Cruise. It's what's called a deep fake. You guys heard of that? Where people create videos and they're, they're just incredibly realistic. It's even when you know it's fake, you go back and watch the video and it still looks like Tom Cruise. And a friend of mine was at a conference here in the city this week and the creator of these Tom Cruise videos was at the conference explaining the kind of technical process of how he did it. But also was talking through some of the implications of that. What if we can't trust video anymore? What does that mean for, for law courts if a judge and a jury can't actually know if a video is true or false? What does it mean for YouTube? Does it mean that some things on YouTube aren't true? Deep fakes. You see, and we live in which, in a world in which increasingly it's difficult to know what's true and what's false. What is a hoax, a fake, what's real? The uh, philosopher Paul Tillich, he tried to describe, he lived about 70, 80 years ago, he tried to describe cultural history, the history of people through the world, as a series of what he called anxiety or panic attacks. That in the, in, for the ancient civilizations, they lived through the anxiety of death, that mortality, the age you, you, you were, your life expectancy was incredibly low, that uh, most children would die as infants, that people knew death around them all the time. It caused them great anxiety. In the Middle Ages, sort of five, 800 years ago, there was, they lived through the anxiety of guilt. If just, what if I've not done enough to have eternal life? The anxiety of guilt paralyzed people. And then he argues that in the modern ages, in the last 100 to 200 years ago, the anxiety that we've lived through is one of meaninglessness. What is, what's important? What does life mean? What's it all about? And perhaps in the modern age that we live in now, in the last 10, 20 years, the real anxiety that defines our age is the anxiety of truthlessness. What if we can't know what's true anymore? And all around us we see that cripples people, that frustrates people when people don't know what's true and what's false, what to believe and what not to believe. And it can leave people into a deep sense of anxiety, not having anything clear and stable and firm to build your life upon. Who do you trust? What do you trust? What values do you hold on to? What morals can we say are true and that society should be built upon? What can you trust for your own life? We live in what people would call, you know, the, the post-truth time. 
deep fakes, post-truth, truthlessness. And why has that happened? Why are we in this state? Well, I guess it's really there because we've rejected any sense of truth. That a few hundred years ago, we would have believed, um, not just if you were Christian, but most people around us would have believed that this, this book, the Bible, was, was truth was what we call absolute truth, as in like final, certain truth, something you can build your life upon. And yet, the sort of traditional atheist position, to be an atheist means you don't believe in God, would be to say, no, no, we don't, we don't believe in, in books or kind of a big fairy god in the sky anymore. We believe in reason. We believe in science. We believe in matter, what you can see, what you can find evidence for, what you can trust what you can analyze, that's what's true. Nature is the one true closed system that we can build everything on. But in more modern times, atheists, well, there's all sorts of different types of atheists, but increasingly, people are not holding on to that anymore. That even science, nature is questioned. And what becomes all important is experience. What do you believe? is the most important thing. What do you believe about yourself? It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks you are. It's what you believe you think you are that defines you. And all the time, we're, we're pummeled with this question that actually leads us into a state of deep worry and concern. We have to define ourselves all the time. And by our own standard, there's no other standard upon which to build it. It has to be what we believe about ourselves that defines us. This is my truth, tell me yours. And that means there's no fixed morality, there's no fixed sense of morals or laws or a way of life to build our lives upon. But the problem is if you work that through to its logical conclusion, it doesn't work. If you erase any sense of fixed morals and values, then who's to say whether murder is right or wrong? Life becomes very hard. Let me give you an illustration that might help you. I don't know if any of you here have ever, ever hung wallpaper. Have you ever put wallpaper up? Has anyone ever done that? A few of you. Well done. Your heroes. I don't know how you did it. I did it once and vowed to never do it again. It's incredibly difficult. There's a room, if you just go through there, uh, where some of the kids are, called the lollipop room. It's called the lollipop room because you don't get free lollipop if you go in there, sorry. But there's the wallpaper is of lollipops. And they're, they're immaculately lined up. Whoever did it was a wallpaper hanging expert. Kudos to them. But the most important thing when you're hanging wallpaper is you've got to get your first one lined up perfectly. You need some kind of plumb line, like, a, like, a, like a, something heavy on a piece of string that you can hold up to make sure it's perfectly straight. Or you align it to the ceiling or the wall or something. Your first one, you've got to get right because everything else will follow that. You have to line up every other sheet with that first one you put up. And that's the same with the morality of the world around us. You need something that's true, that's finally certain that everything else can follow on from. And the thing is that's, although we would like to think we're just in the age of experience, everyone can just believe what they want, around us there's now more and more, a, there's a modern morality that we believe which is governed, is held together by absolute claims that are made. 
So whereas maybe 50 years ago, there would have been values in our society, you know, around gender roles, or family life, or respect for institutions, or for law and order, that would have been, yeah, there are good things. We want to build our society on that. And now, the values would be more around tolerance and inclusion. I'm not saying any of those are right or wrong, but I'm just trying to show you that we still have absolute, absolute truths that we're expected to believe, moral laws that we're supposed to live by, even in our age of experience. And they increasingly come to us with a sense of kind of authoritarian power to them. That once upon a time, to be open-minded meant you could, you could know what you believed, but you were, you were willing to hear other opinions, other viewpoints on it. Whereas now, to be open-minded means you can believe whatever you want, as long as you believe this. <laughs> and once you question that, you're gone. You can't have any opinions anymore because you've questioned that thing. You've, you've touched the electric wire and you're shocked, you're burnt, you've, you're gone now. To be open-minded is, is a very hard place to be in. And we live in this, increasingly becomes, whether you're a follower of Jesus here or you're not, it can become quite a scary world to live in. When on one hand, we're not supposed to know what's true, but on the other hand, there are things that are sold to us as true all the time. And you might think, oh, you're just a, you know, another, another preacher preaching at us. You know, you're, you're preached at all the time. All the time you have ideologies that are pummeled at you all the time. That claim to be broad and open, but often are giving you a, a very narrow slice of the world. And social media, in your universities, in your workplaces, all the time we're told what to believe and we can't question it. You're not allowed to. What I'm trying to show us here is that it isn't really about do I believe this book as an absolute truth claim, as a book of authority, or do I just think whatever I want? Those aren't the options available to you. You follow this book, you follow Jesus, or you follow something else. Peter's question here is a question we all have to answer. To whom shall we go? Who are you gonna follow? Which truth, which ideology are you gonna build your life upon? And are you gonna build your one which is ever-changing, which is always unstable, which you're not allowed to question? Or are you gonna build your life upon a truth that will set you free? The truth of who? Jesus is. As we said, as, as I said at the start, as a church, we believe this book is how we learn about, how we know, how we experience God, that this book is all about Jesus. We believe in the authority of scripture. It's a foundational truth for us. We believe this book is clear, it's accurate, it's timeless, and we wanna proclaim it boldly. We're not afraid of it. We don't apologize for it. Now that's challenging. I admit that's challenging in the world around us. You know, how can you believe in this dusty old relic full of kind of dated values? How can you believe it's ultimately truth? You know, 67% of people in our country have never read the Bible and they've never opened up a single page. 
60% of people think that the Bible, this book, that Christianity is judgmental. 64% of people think it's anti-gay. 47% of people think, I could just, I can pick and choose. I can have whatever religion I want, throw them all together in a big pot, and I'll just take the best bits. Most people don't want to believe that this book is worth building your life upon, that it's true. There's a challenge for us. And there's a choice that we have to make. And the choice, well, the first choice would be just ignore it. Just ignore it. This Christianity, the Bible, it's, it's untrue. It's irrelevant, maybe even offensive, so I'll just, I'll just ignore it. That's an option for all of us here. But the question I'd want to ask you, if that's your position, is what alternative worldview, what alternative belief system, what other way of life can really answer the big questions of life? You know, who am I? Who, who are you? Why are you here? Do you have another worldview that can answer those? Of what's wrong with the world? And how can it be fixed? If you see all around you, people are wrestling with these questions and coming with all sorts of answers that aren't life-giving, that leave them into all sorts of frustration and fear. We're crippled by fear by so many things around us because we see what's happening in the world and we don't know what to do. We're terrified. You need, you need, you need this book to help you make sense of all of those things. So you could ignore it. You could edit it. We just, we use it like we use, you know, yamin, the, the sweet store, and just a few toffees, a bit of chocolate, some snoopia. Just take whatever bits you want. Just pick and choose. Often people treat the Bible like that. The American president, I think it was Thomas Jefferson, treated the Bible like that. He'd cut things out he didn't like. There wasn't much left by the time he'd done all his snipping. You could do that. You can just use bits that you want. Ignore bits that you find offensive or you don't understand. Ignore bits that you know, your friends around you would find offensive. But the problem is, the problem is, that's not what Jesus did with this book. Because we can suddenly, come in, we can misunderstand the Bible and think, well, there's this Old Testament. There's a bit at the front, which I don't like, which is supposed to be bad and angry. And there's a bit at the back where Jesus turns up and everything is shiny and happy. The problem is what Jesus did is all the hardest teachings of the Bible, he didn't ignore, he didn't cut them out. He actually affirmed them. Some of the harshest things the Bible says are not in the Old Testament, they're things that Jesus said. He took, you know, if you think of some of the harshest language around judgment in the Bible, it's the words that Jesus said that really penetrate into us. If you think about the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, if you even commit, if you even look lustfully at someone in your heart, in your mind, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus took the harshest teachings of the Old Testament and he kind of dialed them up to 11. And so the problem is if you start just editing out the things that you don't like, you're going to have to start editing out some of the things that Jesus said. There's some of the things he said about gender and sexuality and marriage and sex. You're going to have to edit all those things out if you don't like them. 
And you might think, well, so what? You know, so what? I can still be a Christian. I can still follow Jesus, but just ignore some of the things he said and, and just ignore some of this book. But then the question has to be, well, which Jesus are you following? If you're just editing out things that he said, things that he did, you're not following the real Jesus. You're following a Jesus that you've concocted, you've created a a cartoon caricature of Jesus that you're following. And again, you might say, well, so what? You know, he helps me through life. My imaginary Jesus is better than your Jesus, you might think. Well, he's not. Because he can't save you. He can't. Your fake Jesus that you've concocted from the one or two verses that you like and ignore the rest, he can't save you because he's not real. That's not who Jesus is. See, the, the Bible answers the questions of the problems of the world, of what's really wrong with this world, and it says it's us. It's because we've sinned and we need a savior. All of us, we need a rescuer to come and set us free and to come and restore his beautiful creation. We need Jesus, all of us, every single one. And your fake Jesus just doesn't cut it. It doesn't. You need the real Jesus to save you. The other approach, finally, the other approach is to follow Jesus, is to engage with this book, is to submit to this book, which is, I guess we call it the Peter approach. Here Peter says to Jesus, Lord, to to whom shall we go? He reads all the hard sayings, the difficult things. He says, to whom shall we go? Now, the wonderful thing is that what Peter, if you interrogate this passage, what he doesn't say is, no, Jesus, I've understood everything you've said. He doesn't say, I agree with everything you've said even. He doesn't say that. He just says, to whom shall we go? And you can... You can come to Jesus with all your questions, your fears, your concerns. You can read this book and not understand it all, and that's fine. You can have questions about it, and you can come bring them to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say you just have to erase all of that. It's not like become a Christian and stop thinking. It's not like to abandon science, you know, believe in a flat earth. It's not, we're not saying that. Christians don't believe in a flat earth, by the way, just to clarify that point. You can come to Jesus with all your questions, all your concerns, all your worries, all your doubts. Everything in this Bible that makes you think, oh goodness, what do I do with this? Bring it to him. Because what Peter says here, Lord, to whom shall we go? What he's realized is, you have the words of eternal life. That's what he's seen. He's seen Jesus. You have the words of eternal life. See, and that's what we get to do today, is that see, what Peter saw, what he knew, he was one of Jesus' best friends. And he knew that Jesus wasn't just a, he didn't just teach truth, although he does do that. He's also, what Jesus claimed about himself was that he was the way, the truth, the life, and that this truth will set you free. Jesus' words spoke life, eternal life. He'd glimpsed that. Peter had seen it, and he wanted it. And that's, 
Our challenge to here to you today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we don't, we're not saying just throw all your ideas in the bin. Just, you just have to run away from all of that. What we're saying is just come to Jesus and just submit to him in your heart. Just be humble. <laughs> and you can say, Jesus, I need your help. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know how to make sense of this all, but just humbly submit your life to him and let him have your way. See, the wonderful thing about the Christian faith is it's not, it's not just about ideas, philosophies, teachings, a way of life, although it has all those things. Ultimately, the, the gospel that we believed is rooted in the person of Jesus. And this book is, it's, it's not just a series of things to do, it's we come here to meet Jesus. We come here to receive life. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, not I know what I've believed, I know whom I've believed. And we get to come and believe and to know, to find Jesus in this book. And when you find Jesus in here, you'll discover that even though he says some hard things, even though this book can be difficult and challenging, that his yoke is easy, that his burden is light, that with Jesus you find peace. He's the giver of shalom, of peace. He wants to see you flourish and grow. See, if you think of, perhaps for instance, the, the hard things that Jesus said about sex and sexuality, if you're, a, if you're a single person here today, that can feel very difficult. When the world around you is telling you the only way to complete your life is to have sex. That that's the only way you'll find fulfillment and intimacy and happiness. That's what the world will tell you all the time. And Jesus taught us another way. He didn't just tell us that, he lived it. He didn't marry, he lived his life completely celibate his whole life, and yet he lived as the happiest, most fulfilled human being that there's ever been. See, his words, his teaching, his own life, who he is, that's where we find intimacy, fulfillment, and happiness is in him. And when you discover that, life will come, goodness will come. Even the things in here that seem the hardest, you realize actually they're given to us as good. It's not come to this book and you have to kind of restrict yourself with all this harshness. It's you, you come to this book, you come to Jesus and you find life, goodness and joy. And that's why as a church we teach this book. Unapologetically. We'll normally we'll go through it little by little. We'll take a book of the Bible and we'll work through it. And when we get to difficult passages, we don't skip over them. We try and explain them together. We try and work them out. We try and make sense of it because we want to know this book is life to us. We want, it, we want it to be a lamp to our feet. We want to kind of pull out this, all the nuggets of blessing, everything. We want to absorb it into us, all the goodness of God available to us. We want it all. We want to experience more of him. You know, we were talking a few weeks ago about what it means to be a charismatic church, to enjoy the fullness of the spirit in our life. And that's why we preach this book because we want to know and experience more and more of God. And the primary way he speaks to us is in here. He can speak to you every day. You can open up this book and hear his voice penetrating right into your life, bringing a message of 
love, of grace, of forgiveness, of his mercy. It's all in here. Let me see what we've got. Okay, a couple of practical things that can help you, because you might be thinking, yes, I want to do all this, but every time I open up this book, you know, maybe you struggle to make sense of it. Maybe you don't know where to start. We'd love to help you with that. Probably the first thing I should say, we'd love to help you. If you try to read your Bible and you just don't know what to do, we'd love to help you. Come and talk to us. A couple of practical things straight away that will help you. First of all, this might sound a bit zen, but just hear me out, is let it read you. Let the book read you. Rather than come to it with your own ideas and beliefs and try and impose them onto the book, God, God, would this book just explain me, please? This book is about God. So let it read you. Let this book speak into your life. Don't speak into it what you'd like it to say. Let it speak to you. Let it read into all your circumstances, everything you're going through. Also, think about who it was written for. It's helpful to think, to read the Bible and say, what does it say to me? That's a good way to read it. But before you do that, ask, what did it say to the people it was first written for? Because that will take you out. We all live with these these kind of slightly tinted goggles on that we see everything through our 21st century mindset of how we're taught to think. The best way to take those off is to ask, what was, what was the Bible trying to say to the people it was first written to 2,000 years ago? That's a great question to ask. Finally, read it as news, not advice. There is lots of advice in here. There's lots of wisdom of what life can look like. There's imperatives, encouragements, things to do. But ultimately, read it as news. Not a book telling you all the things you need to do, but telling you of all the things that have been done for you. Read it as a proclamation of good news about who Jesus is, of his love for his people. And as you read that, you'll, as you get into this book, you'll discover it's, it'll just It'll bring you joy when you realize this, the depravity, the, the, the mess of the sinfulness in our life, how far we've wandered from God, but how he pursues us again and again, how his grace comes to us again and again. And often through this book, he'll speak to you, remind you of his, as we were seeing already, his mercies new every morning. And the best way to unpack them every morning is every morning get into this book, and let his mercy speak to you, delight your heart again. Let me finish just, I'm going to read a few words from an English preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, that will help us, and then we're going to take communion and worship together. He said this, Scripture, the Bible, is a never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. It is the bank of heaven, You may draw from it as much as you please without let or hindrance. Come in faith and you're welcome to all covenant blessings. There is not a promise in the word which shall be withheld. In the depths of trials and tribulations, let this freedom comfort you. Amidst waves of distress, let it cheer you. When sorrows surround you, let it be your solace. This book is the Father's love token. You're free to it 
at all times. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this book because it speaks of you. And in this book, we we get to meet you. We get to come and know our Savior. And we just want to acknowledge right now that we have fallen short, each and every one of us. There's so much of our life that is, we live distantly from you. We get caught up in the confusion of the world around us. But right now, we just want to bring our hearts back to you again. We want to align ourselves with you, what you've taught, what you lived. And the best way to do that is we want to just come and receive your goodness again. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would just breathe faith into our hearts. Breathe your love and your mercy into our hearts. We pray just as we worship now, as we take communion, you just remind us of all your blessings. That any trial or tribulation, any distress that's on us, your love would just come and release us into just true liberty in you. We thank you, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, the truth that sets us free. Amen.